0: Okay. Uh, Thank you for coming. If it's your first time at Denton North Church, welcome. We're very, very glad you're here. We have a visitor's list we'd love you to sign. It's over back there by the coffee. And if it's not there, that means that the person who hears this and knows where it is and where to put it should do that right now. So if you can sign that visitor's list, um, it just gets us some information about you to help you get plugged in, if that's something that you'd like. So if you'd like to be part of a small group or whatever. Um, or just want to know more about our church in general, we'd love to get your info and just get you plugged in if that's what you want. So thank you for being here. We've got some, some more ways for you to be involved in our community this week, so we're going to go through those right now. The first thing is the MLK Haunted House Decorating 2018 edition. Yep, yep. So that is happening this week, this week only, weeknights, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., that's the window, meaning that anytime within there, you can come help decorate. The MLK Rec Center is where our church used to meet, and they put on a haunted house every year for kids in the neighborhood, and they need help decorating for it, and it's really fun. We've done this every year, and it's pretty cool to make a really scary environment for kids to be scared in. So, um, just trying to affect our neighborhood and our community in really positive, scary ways. So, uh, that'll be happening this week. So, get your small group together to come help with that, get some friends, get your family, get your coworkers, whatever it is, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. We have a sign-up sheet, a Google sheet that will be on Facebook today, just has each weekday, throw your name on there, that would be know which days are covered, and and you can kind of decide which day to to help based on that, so we have the leadership conference that's this Saturday, so we won't be able to help with the actual scaring of the children, unfortunately, Um, but we can help decorate, so... The next thing is the... Yes? Great question. I did say that, but it's probably something people are wondering. Anytime within that window. So that's just the times you can come help. So you don't don't try to go earlier because they have stuff going on. But once they kind of close down activities at the rec center, for the day is whenever we can start decorating. So as early as 5 p.m., as late as 9 p.m., Brad... Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, I think it's still at night, so you can help out the leadership conference, go straight up there, it usually goes from like 6 to 8.30. Yeah, I think we had written it off because last year we had something the same day and we couldn't because it was the retreat. So, but we talked about it, and we thought, oh, man, bummer, we can't do it. But I guess we actually could. Okay, great. So if you are all fired up about being a leader from that conference, and then you want to be continue that momentum and come scare kids uh, at the rec center that's a great that's a great move so i'd recommend doing that um i I think it starts at six we can post that info i I did not have that info ready to to announce but we'll post that on the facebook uh group so the next thing is the women's halloween hangout whoa so this is going to be um today right is that right The 21st, 4 to 7, and that's going to be at the Coop, which is on, the address is behind me. So, adult women can come. What? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Dang, interesting. That's quite an address. Um, So, if you're an adult in our ministry, meaning you're not a student or you're not involved in Focus, then you're welcome to come to this event. Um, It'll be really spooky, so just be prepared for that. There'll be pumpkin carving, so be sure to bring your own pumpkin, um, make s'mores, have a... Fun time watching Halloween movies, all those things, and it's come and go. So you you don't have to be there exactly when it starts at four, and you can come whenever. So that's a lot of our stuff is that way. So you're welcome to be late. Um, So definitely come to that and enjoy some Halloween fun. So um, and the last thing is just a a reminder about our small groups that are already going in full force this this semester. They meet every other week. These are the details behind me. Um, If you are interested in joining a small group and you're not already a part of one, contact these people. Um, and there there are different days throughout the week so hopefully one of them works with your schedule and this week for most of them is an off week, we meet every other week but contact your um, person who's leading the small group you want to be part of and try to figure out where it meets and and the details if this is an off week for them or whatever Um, but hopefully it is an off week for your small group and you can go decorate at the haunted house, cool? Okay, I'm going to pass the offering basket I'm going to pray for that real quick um Lord we just give you this day this morning we praise you we pray that you would just connect our hearts and our minds to you help us to focus on praising you to, to hear your word hear your voice Lord help us just to serve you in everything that we do you know I pray amen
1: all right all right uh, my name is Brad good morning one of the ministers here um, this will be actually my last time to be up here for a while I've got like a whole month of visitor We have got a a whole month of people coming, and it's going to be a treat because next week we're going to have Ronnie, uh, one of our ministers from uh, (laughs) the—I'm going to name every church minister, so let's see who, uh, you know, we get the most uh, clapping for. No, literally, I really am. And then the week after, Tom Green from the Arlington Church is going to uh, come speak to us. That was pretty pretty pathetic. Most of you don't know him. That's our uh, newest church plant over in Arlington, but he's a pretty great guy. Um, And then uh, after that, John Von Bonrennan from the Wiley Northeast Church will come. And uh, it seems like there's someone else coming after that, but I don't remember. That's pretty much the churches. Uh, Maybe someone from Focus will represent. I don't really know. Uh, But I'll get a nice uh, break here for a month. So that'll be pretty cool. I got a couple good announcements here. I'm going to reiterate the leadership conference. If you are on one of our Chula teams or if you're a small group leader, we really, really want you to be there. Obviously, Corfas, I think you've already been invited Uh, but anybody and everybody who leads in our church, this is an amazing day for us to get together with all the church leaders, okay, and to talk about issues that really matter to us as we're ministering to other people. The theme this year uh, is really ministering through the word and how to sort of regain or reemphasize stories and Uh, The biblical literature in our times of ministering to people. And so we're going to talk about counseling. We're going to talk about the sermon series here, using stories and images. Uh, We're going to present a Bible survey. It's going to be a great day. Uh, It uh, starts at 9 o'clock there at Care Church in Richardson. And we'll be done around 4, 4.30 and plenty of time to be able to do the Halloween event. All right? Um, So the other thing, too, and this is uh, very near and dear to my heart. Whose phone have I taken? Uh, I have taken someone's phone. Ryan, why do I have your phone? You have no idea, huh? We have the same case. Our phones look very, very similar. Do you want to come get your phone? or Okay, great. What are you going to do during my sermon then? I mean, you know, no entertainment. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, Metro Auto Ministry did a fundraiser the last three weeks. And I thank Josh uh, Robinson greatly for his work in all of that. And we not only received our 18000 that we planned for, uh, we got another 9000 So... <laughs> We made not only a year worth of money for our Metro Auto Ministry, we made a year and a half's worth of money. So thank you guys so very much for your contributions to that. Uh, You don't understand, many of you, how important a ministry that is in our community right now. Nobody else is doing that, uh, and really not even near the Denton area. And we get probably 10 or 15 calls a week for people needing car repairs, most of which are outside of our church. Who need car loans, and so I just thank you very much for your generosity with that. That's going to kind of always be our Denton North Church mission and ministry, and the other churches uh, certainly joined in with us, and uh, so please, now that we have money again, you're welcome to uh, call me for car repairs, car loans, things like that. I've had to turn a lot of people down these last few weeks because we ran out of money so quickly, but now uh, we're good to go again. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. All right, we're going to continue on today through Luke, Luke 11. Uh, which is pretty vexing uh, as a passage. uh, When we didn't meet for church last Saturday, and we had the alternate activity of you going and trying to write your own story or image, I don't know who I was talking to. I think it was Grant, and realized just how challenging this chapter would be to write a story or come up with an image, and yet we had great response. I mean, we had some 20 or so responses that I went through uh, last night, just looking through, so many good ones that I could only really incorporate four today. Um, and those people are going to read them during the service today. Some of them they wrote, some of them other people wrote, and they're just sharing because the person who shared didn't want to write. A lot of them, I'm going to come and approach you over the next couple of weeks to ask you if you will share yours uh, because they were really, really great. Uh, I tried to write a horror story this week just because I'm actually, I love Halloween, um, but couldn't do it. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make anything really click and work. So I'm going to steal Tong's horror story uh, that he created, and we're going to work together and really make that an awesome horror story. So I can't wait to share that one during service. Yes, a horror story, and it will be awesome. It's super creepy. I had some nightmares last night after even reading uh, Tong's story. So you can be looking forward to that. But just because we have plenty of responses doesn't mean we don't need more. And now that the ball has become or gotten rolling, please get on our forum on Google and write your own story or poem or uh, you know, give us an image. Some of you gave me dog YouTube videos of being you know, re- reunited with their owners and made me cry a lot as I was watching them. One in particular is like a dog that was in the pound for like three years and then his owner comes back and finds him after being lost. And then, like, the dog kind of doesn't recognize him at first and then recognize him, and it is, like, tearjerker for real. Um, But, yeah, oh, my gosh. I don't know how to quite fit that in yet, but I'm going to work on it. Uh, So we'll see. see. I may have just always spoiled it, but I don't think so. Seeing the video is the best. So please do that, all right? You don't have any excuse. You know where it's at. It's on our Facebook page. Get on. Write your own story. Just because your story doesn't get shared, or uh, you know, we don't have time to do them, that's not the point of the activity. The activity uh, is for you to th- use the scripture to really be creative and think through how to bring these stories into your own understanding, and uh, and you know, into a uh, really, which is what the, the scripture wants us to do. It wants us to take these really important truths and put them in words and stories and images that people remember and it will really change people's hearts. And so please do that activity, okay? So great, here we go, Luke 11. And uh, I'm just gonna read this more or less like I have a couple other times and kind of make some comments along the way. And uh, I don't intend this to be very long because I wrote a poem as best as I could, and then uh, I'll share that with you, and then that'll kind of launch us into communion and into our worship and other people sharing some of their stuff. But as always, as we're reading through this, if you have questions, Uh, or something that you were thinking about, or something that you wanted to share, that's totally okay. That's the point of what we're doing in this sermon series, is to be able to really bring some of this to life uh, in a way that's memorable and will relate to us, because that's exactly what um, Jesus is doing in his stories, remembering or reminding people of things that are very significant through images that they would have understood and would have stuck with them, all right? So, verse 1, on uh, on, uh, one day, (laughs) Jesus, on day, Uh, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, okay? Uh, Such an interesting statement because in their uh, society and in their religious environment, they would have had a variety of ways to pray, okay? Tons and tons of ritual prayers, creedal prayers, prayers throughout their liturgy in the synagogue, lots and lots of ways to pray. And so for them to ask Jesus to teach them to pray Uh, signifies that they recognize in him a totally different kind of Christianity or or Jewishness uh, that would, you know, become Christianity than they had seen in any of the people up to this point. So they're recognizing in him, he's really got these, uh, you know, special ideas and special giftings to relate with God, and they really want to know how to do that. This is a really great question that they're ultimately asking Jesus, is how do we relate to God? They're starting to begin to believe that he says uh, that he is who he says he is. All right? And one of the first things that comes out of that is they want to know how to relate with God. And uh, the irony, of course, of this passage is that it has become itself a ritualistic prayer uh, in the way that Jesus never meant it to be. Notice he says, This is not what you should pray, but how you should pray. And yet, again, we in our tendency to be religious people and to do rituals and to take the easy way out have indeed made this a ritualistic prayer uh, against the very uh, thrust of what Jesus is trying to do here in teaching them. So I said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, who lead us not into temptation. There's some varieties of this throughout. As a side note here, one of my favorite, and I mention this a lot, and it's not because I'm trying to like publish it and become famous and make money, although I'd be fine with that, um, is, uh, is this is one of my most consistent prayer times and, and devotional times throughout my life has been based on this prayer. And breaking up the prayer into sort of four categories and then reading scripture along with each category is, I mean, honestly, it's, I still use this method as my favorite method for doing devotional some 12 or 13 years later. And so the first thing I just break up is, Father, hallowed be your name, and the idea of praising God, reading through a psalm, reading through a prophet, whatever it is you find that's really solely focused on praising God, and then just spending your reflection time praising God. It's very difficult to do alone, uh, and not alone like your individual alone, but just praising God. We often start with that. We often immediately move into th- maybe thanks, which isn't necessarily the same as prayer or, or praise to God, and then begin asking for stuff that we want. But, but Mondays, in the day that I do this, I just praise God and find new ways of doing that, whether writing out, rewriting psalms, whatever else. Your kingdom come uh, on earth uh, as it is in heaven, and I read through the Gospels because that's really what the Gospels are about, the kingdom, and reading through and trying to pray that in my life and in my surrounding community and my spheres that, that Jesus would, through the Holy Spirit, enact his world around me, his culture, the things that he's doing, and I pray that prayer as I read through a Gospel. And guys, these are 10 or 15 minute times. I mean, you know, I'm, I, sometimes I spend longer than that, but they just give me a focus and something different uh, to read in, uh, throughout my week, give us each day our daily bread. I read through one of the epistles, something that's really talking about how Christians should live, asking God to give me what I need daily to know how to really live as a Christian. I do that on Wednesdays, all right? And then uh, forgive us our sins, for He has also forgiven uh, those who sin against us. I do uh, usually one of the prophets, because there's a lot of sin in the prophets. And uh, the whole idea is on confessing sin, which I often do that day with someone I'm meeting with as well. Uh, And I'm just reading through the prophets, trying to kind of be as devastated about my sin as uh, those who really hear God's message. And then the lead us not into temptation, certainly you could do that with the prophets. I've always kind of struggled with exactly what to read there. Uh, So for a long time, probably the most effective time, which is about six months, I read the screw tape letters. (laughs) It's really not the Bible, so I don't know. But C.S. Lewis is pretty up there with Paul for a lot of... uh, hipster Christians. Um, But the screw tape letters are really great, and if you don't know what those are, they're basically letters written from the position of a demon training a younger demon how to uh, keep people from faith in God. And there's just something very powerful about them. They're subtle, they're poetic, just like C.S. Lewis writes, and there's something that was just great in reading those and then just really praying that God would give me a sense of the enemy's activities and that he would give me Um, you know, strength to overcome some of those. So I just want to mention that as a side thing for some of you. I know you have trouble getting uh, consistent in, uh, in your reading times and things like that. And even if you didn't break it up every day of the week, you could break it up every week of the month and have something different every month, every week of the month. All right, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. Um, I love how this is a friend, right? Uh, I need food for my my other friend, and the unfriend's saying, don't bother me. (laughs) No one else thinks that's funny. Okay, well, you're not reading enough. Wow, okay. (laughs) Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Like, what, what are these excuses? I don't even know how to process those excuses. Well, the door is locked, you know, it's a process, you know, my kids are asleep in bay, you know, which, how's he even talking to him? You know, I don't even get that. Can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet, because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, there's a real problem with this passage, right? If we think of God as being a friend who doesn't really want to answer our prayers unless we're persistent, it doesn't really seem like God is much of our friend anymore. I wouldn't say this was a very good friend, Right? A lot of people have taken from that that the only way God answers prayers is through persistent, sort of annoying, bothering God to find the answer to our prayers. But there's really nothing in this that would be very friend-worthy, and so I don't think that's really the thrust of what he's saying. The next passage helps us understand exactly what it is that, uh, that Jesus is saying here about prayer. Then the one inside, oh, sorry. Uh, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? I don't know, a funny father? Um, that would be pretty great, um, actually. Um, I have a snake story, but it's not related, so you can just ask me later if you want. Uh, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. You know, this is, come on, guys. This is not meant to be like a serious thought, okay? No one would have heard this and been like, hmm, what father would give that gift? Am I the father that would give that gift? This is obviously comedy. I mean, this is Jesus being comical. We, we fail to pick up on that so often in the scripture uh, of some of the subtle, just sarcastic and comical statements he makes, right? The image itself is just so terrible, um, to think about, but it's a powerful image of why would a father do that? There's just no reason uh, for him to do that, and uh, and so he's using this uh, this very comical um, you know image to to give them a, a uh, you know something to kind of fall back on and think through. So if then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So of course the whole thrust of the passage is just. Ask and God will give. The whole idea of persistence has more to do with us recognizing that this is truly coming from God. Because when we ask once and God gives us something, it's not very clear that that was the thing that actually happened as a result of God. We think, well, it was one of many things that might have contributed to that gift being given. But in reality, it's as we really get you know, in touch with God's heart, all of the praising, the kingdom be as your kingdom is, give us our daily bread, and begin doing that over and over that we really begin to see what God has given us. Unfortunately, many of us, if we're honest, have a really tough time, tough time explaining what God has given us recently as a result of our prayers. Now, I want you to think about that. Plenty of people have things sort of vague and historical in their lives that, yeah, God did that more or less, but what recently have you asked for in prayer that you suspect God answered your prayer in? So, a really challenging thought, and it's one that this passage is speaking to, our lack of persistence with God, our inability to really expect from him to give good gifts. Even though evil fathers give good gifts, uh, him and his gift giving uh, obviously is going to be at least better than that. And so that should challenge us to think through uh, really coming to God in, in prayer and expecting him uh, to give things. Uh, that contrasts very much with the religious thought of the day, which had everything to do with if you, uh, you know, accomplish a certain amount of task, if you're ritualistic in your behavior, God will, through natural processes, sort of give you blessings and good things. Jesus ups the ante here and says, no, this is a direct relationship between you and God. This is not be good, do good, and you'll be blessed. That is true, this is God is going to answer the prayers that you have as a result of your relationship with him. And crazily enough, we see that throughout the scripture. We don't have a time to go through and uh, talk about how sometimes that's not the best thing, it doesn't seem like, and why would God do it, and all these other things. But this is a relational component uh, to, uh, to our prayer life. And I will tell you that the secret of good prayer is always going to be that it's a relational conversation. If it fails that, it's never gonna be consistent, never gonna be meaningful, and never really going to accomplish the purposes that Jesus has in mind for our prayer lives. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm writing, I'm improving with you know, God and just saying whatever comes to mind. So much of our conversation with God, if we were to uh, you know, take that into our conversations with each other, it would be one cliche after another. <laughs> thank you for the day, the weather's been great, you know. Our whole conversation would be pretty painful and terrible. No, just like we prepare statements uh, with each other, just like we we sometimes talk about things that are insignificant, but then sometimes talk about things that are significant, prayer life rests on the notion that we are talking with God, he is listening, and is ready and willing to respond uh, in a variety of ways. And that's really the secret of prayer, that he's teaching them now. This is a relational thing. This is not clockwork. This is not Deus God. This is a relational thing. And it's an individual relationship thing. It's a multiple people relationship. It's a church relationship thing. But it always functions as a relationship. And this is one of the hardest things uh, for me, for I think a lot of people in this room, to think about when we're in prayer. To really be thinking about talking to God and interacting with him. I think that would change a lot of the actual words that we use. Um, A great book on this, if this has kind of excited any interest in you, is beginning to pray. I'm not even going to try to remember the name. Grant, what is it? Anthony Bloom. Bloom. Some of our small group leaders did that. So many things have stuck with me from that book. Um, He's an Episcopal, or is he an Orthodox? Orthodox minister. And two of the quick ones that I'll just give you, since I have no notes and I'm just sort of rambling through this passage... um, is one, is that we need to speak words that are worthy of us and worthy of God. Oh, I love that that phrase. And what he means is not that God is expecting, you know, really great, big, amazing spiritual words. That's the opposite. What he's saying is that those words should be true to us. We shouldn't be just saying things that we don't mean. Whether that's cliches, whether that's things that we're asking for but don't mean And in the same way that those words ought to be worthy of us, they ought to be worthy of the God that we're asking to do those things. We ought not ask him things that he clearly instructs us not to want in Scripture. And then expect that uh, that he answers those. The second thing, which is even more startling for me, which is more to the point of what we're going to talk about next, is he talks about how most people cannot sit alone with themselves. They are so amazingly obsessed with external stimuli that they can't just sit alone with themselves. Albert Camus, who is a uh, existential thinker, once said, I uh, knew uh, within the, let me see, let me me try this one. That was so good, I was ready. Yeah, it was good, yeah. (laughs) Within winter, I found, no, 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 no. (laughs) Within the depths of winter, I found, no, 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 no well, I'm just going to butcher it and then we'll go from there. Within the depths of winter, I found lies within me an invincible summer. What he meant, and it's kind of butchered because it sounds a lot better when you read it, is that when he sat alone with himself, he realized he had this amazing potential and all of these things that sort of welled uh, up from uh, uh, inside of him. Bloom is saying the exact opposite. When we sit alone and thought all of the things that we Uh, have hidden inside our memories, our self, our personality, we can't just sit alone for very long. Because so much of our lives are spent dealing with the external world, never looking in, never being comfortable alone, and it's just going from one thing to the next, being stimulated by external stuff, not by anything internal. And of course, monks and, and certainly the Orthodox tradition uh, may have gone too far in del- you know, plumbing the depths of their uh, inside and in, uh, internal cells, but we have definitely not gone far enough. And I love that as a, as a result of, he says, this is a necessity for a decent prayer life, is you've got to sit alone for an extended period of time, maybe 15 or 30 minutes, and just watch how uncomfortable you are with yourself. And with, 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 the, with the nothingness of the environment around you. And he says, only then are you able to sort of Stoop to a humble level to recognize the only thing of meaning that fills us is God. And the things that he has not only put inside of us, but is offering us in the world around us, the sitting still world, the Sabbath world, the sit back and let the world continue to go. And I really like this because this is going to, uh, I think, uh, come up, uh, about a little bit later here in this, uh, this second part of chapter 11, which is really weird Okay? So, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been dumb spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. All right, so there were some different people who could kind of exercise spirits Uh, or so-called, I I don't know where I'm at with a lot of that stuff. My leaning is that that probably happens quite a bit because I watched The Exorcist the other day and I was like, yeah, this has to be real. (laughs) Um, No, but in our society, often not, uh, and I can't say that I've had too many experiences like that, but I trust many of our uh, um, Christians in other countries who talk about these experiences all the time, and so that's going to be the best leg I think that I'm going to stand on is if they're talking about their experiences with uh, satanic forces and demons and things like that, I'm ultimately going to listen to them. Yeah, sure, as a sociologist, I can always downplay that to cultural understanding and paranoia and perceptions, but I don't think there's really any need for me to come down on some specific position on this, and so I'm going to continue believing Uh, that that these things existed and existed as they were and that Jesus isn't just driving out a mental illness as many of our scientific-minded folks would pretend to understand today. So why don't they believe him? Well, a lot of people are doing it, right? Other people want to test him further by asking for a sign from heaven. Now, this is really interesting, right? Why wouldn't this be a sign from heaven? And they're thinking, well, I don't know, I mean... What do you want exactly? And so he's going to take this issue of wanting a sign from heaven and the rest of the scripture passage is gonna be addressing that. And if you miss that, it's probably unclear why he goes on and says some of the things that he says. So Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can this kingdom stand? So he's ultimately saying, right, but if Satan's the one driving out demons, what is he doing it for? The whole point was that he put them in there in the first place, you know? What is he like? bipolar? Does he not understand how this works? He's like, put a demon in, drive it out. I don't know which one. Put a demon in, drive it out. Mm, I'm not for sure. This is really tough for me to figure out, okay? So, and, and there is a comical sense to, you know, what he's presenting here um, as he goes on to say, so I say, because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? Now, this is an interesting passage, okay? Because it's been taken two different ways, right? One is he's talking about Jewish exorcist who, what's to say that your own exorcists are the ones that uh, uh, are driving out demons by Beelzebub? But I don't think that makes any sense, right? Because this whole argument is saying that, you know, you don't drive out demons by Satan. So that's not what he's actually saying. I think what he's actually saying here uh, is your followers, meaning Jewish people who are following Jesus, who are still technically following the elders, are themselves driving out demons, And he's making them uh, think through and ask the question, if they themselves are the ones driving out demons, where do you think that's coming from? Are you going to say that your own followers are driving out demons by Beelzebub as well? And it's going to put them in a really tricky situation because they've got people, I mean multiple of the disciples are both Jewish and still are under Jewish authority and also following Jesus, all right? And so he puts them, as Jesus often does, in a really tricky kind of spot to try to get them to, uh, to recognize that they have a double standard here. That they're okay with taking the credit for when their own followers uh, or followers of both Jesus and Jews do it, but not when Jesus is doing it himself. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And that's why I think it doesn't make sense that the Jewish authorities would be the ones he had in mind here, because they're certainly not going to be the judges. What does he even mean by them being the judges? Well, through the work that God is doing in them, they'll judge these exorcists who are ultimately blaspheming, or judge these Jewish authorities who are blaspheming against God and what God is doing in them, okay? By saying uh, the good is actually uh, no good at all, but coming from, uh, from Satan. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Jesus says, I've come. I'm stronger than Satan. It's time to divide up all the spoils that he's taken for himself. The kingdom is among you. And I'm going to spread that good news uh, around wherever I go because Satan has been vanquished. He's been attacked and defeated he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes, and here's where things just get really weird, right? I mean, the rest of the scripture, I mean, really, from 24 to 36, if you didn't struggle reading this, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, man. you're brilliant, alright? Spiritual guidance that you ought to give. You, you should be up here, actually, now that I think about it, because I didn't understand a lot of this, and it took me a long time to try to even get close, I think. So, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through and places and seeks rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the man is worse than the first. Uh, I just want to open it up because I, I still struggle with this one. And in fact, Grant's story uh, that he's going to read addresses this, which I think is a great way of understanding it. Anybody got any great ideas on what he's talking about there? Or, uh, all right, cool. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I guess to, to, you, know, you probably can take it in a variety of ways because it doesn't lead us too much, but if we try to put it in this passage, I guess best that we can, um, it seems like we've got this issue of people who know God and know him and the, the laws and commands that, they, uh, that he has, but treat a relationship with him like, a, like Kevin said, a bunch of do-nots and rules, rather than adding any kind of spirituality to the faith that they have. And that should be a, a lesson, and I think a warning to us, that, uh, you know, we can get to a point in our life where we're pretty comfortable, we're not dealing with some of the struggles we had in the past, but if we don't fill our lives with what the Spirit ultimately wants us to do, which in all uh, for all intents and purposes, is much harder than getting rid of the past stuff we've had in our life, because it's only done through the Spirit. Uh, we really are in no better place, but instead uh, in sort of a waiting place of things to get worse, and uh, that's a pretty hard thought to think, uh, and I think this is pretty, pretty challenging, but of course it's leading up to his, uh, his woes, which Ronnie will talk about next week, where he, uh, he says some of the most uh, damning things, I think, about the leaders of his day. Well, it only gets weirder from here. Uh, Jesus was saying these things. A woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. I mean, like, what? Hello, you have a problem with timing here. Like, what does that have to do with anything? She's probably super uncomfortable because he's talking about all these demons and seven demons come back. She's so he's like, well, let's just try to take this on a positive note, you know, you know? Hey, blessed are you, you know, and your mother who birthed you, you know, and nursed you. Uh, she's like, man, this guy's getting really negative, you know, it's, Let's turn it around. And he again replies back, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so I guess you could see this as sort of an aside, like a completely out of the way uh, statement and comment coming from Jesus, but I'm not so sure that Jesus does that. He generally tries to uh, take even uh, random and off-track comments and place them back into the context of what he's talking about. And of course, I think here he's reiterating the point uh, that there's no lineage to spirituality. Um, there's no ritualistic family name or place that will ultimately church membership that will make you a spiritual person. What ultimately uh, you know, gets you on track with God is both hearing, which many of them had done, and obeying it. And so he very quickly wanted to get rid of that notion of, uh, of sort of a religious um, uh, inheritance or something like that. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah, sw- uh, Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the son of man be to this generation. Uh, you know, you read through Jonah here. I think the simple thing is he's just basically saying, uh, the only sign that you're going to get is the very sign that's coming from my mouth, which is repent. And he tells them Nineveh will be their judges at the end. Uh, because if they don't repent, they had just enough to do it, just as much as the Ninevites. And you remember Jonah, you know, in the whale. This has nothing to do, I don't think, with Jesus like being a whale. And there's been some really weird uh, ideas about this. But this simply comes from Jesus giving them exactly what they need. Jesus constantly in his ministry downplayed his signs. And there's a whole, uh, I think, um, explanation for this. But the easiest is that ultimately Jesus wanted people to see his relationship with God as the shining light of of what he was coming to do, to explain the character of God. And uh, miracles Miracles don't do that, you know? They impress us, we move on, questioning whether or not we actually saw what we saw, and they don't ultimately uh, grow into any kind of faith. And so uh, I think he's going to put a, an end to that really quickly. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for that she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. This is the story about Solomon gaining wisdom. A, a gal from a whole other country and place came to hear him. And these people already have Jesus right in front of them and are uh, missing out on exactly what he's uh, saying. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts, what kind of bowl would hide a lamp? I don't, and lamps were even more giant back then. I mean, what are we talking about? A giant bowl here. This is one of those illustrations that I just can't get in my head. Uh, A bowl over a lamp? I don't, I mean, we have small lamps, right? But they have these big, okay, fine, no big deal. Um, Technicality. Candles on a plate. You're talking about the 18th century? Yeah, yeah, you're right, Definitely. I'm just kidding. I was thinking about one of those, like, giant, you know, like, metal lights. Definitely they had those, right, you know? All right, anyway, not a big deal. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, here is one of the most vexing passages in my mind. It's very hard. It's a tongue twister, and I wrote a poem as a result that's equally a tongue twister. I asked for some feedback. Grant told me it didn't really help explain the passage at all. I was like, thanks, man. So I tried, tried a little bit more, not sure I got it any better, so I'll try my best to explain it to you uh, if I can. Uh, my bigger deal was asking him uh, how cheesy was it, and he says it was at a normal cheesiness level, uh, no, reasonable cheesiness level, which then I asked, is that too cheesy or not cheesy enough? And he said, Reason- I don't remember what he said, but it was good, good cheesy, so that's fine. Um, so no one lights a lamp. Oh, I already got that. Your eye is the lamp of your body when your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Okay, not only does this is not actually how eyes work, um, it's very confusing, right, Uh, what this is actually saying. If you really read this and think through it, And meditate on it, I think you'll become more and more confused with actually what's going on here. And particularly how this is the transition statement, because it's got to be important, from all the stuff he's been talking about before to the woes that he's going to give, which is the butt kicking to, uh, you know, famous butt kicking of the Jewish uh, rulers who were in sin. So see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Uh, that's got to be poetic because it's just rationally thinking. I don't. That's just very hard to, to you know understand. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Uh, I'm not going to explain this passage too much because I think it's a great one to consider uh, this next week. Even if you just focus on these verses, because it's poetic, it's uh, really pretty ambiguous. And if you come out with a really clear understanding of it, you've read it wrong, okay? Uh, so maybe for the next week, you can spend some time in this passage, 33 through 36, maybe read a commentary, maybe try to figure out how lamps and lights worked back then so you can explain this whole bowl issue that I'm just still struggling with. Um, and uh, and you can bring something next week uh, in, in regard to that. All right, so uh, I'm going to put my poem up here, and then we're going to... Uh, Break for communion. We'll probably keep that up, too, just in case you want to read it and think about it and consider how much better a poem you could write, uh, which might encourage you to, uh, to do part of our Google Forms. All right? Uh, yes, my poems rhyme, because, you know, I'm not good at poetry, so you've got to rhyme them. Make it easy, you know? All right, if the eyes can see but nothing is keen, meaning you can't really make anything out, right? It's not clear, then the light inside is rubbish. Dross just means rubbish. It's from a song that a lot of Christians sing. Yeah, what? Why? Okay. What is this, some weird poetry trick or something? <laughs> if I read it, people will think, that's good. But if I explain it, they're going to be like, ah, oh, it's not so good. <laughs> oh, it takes a life out of it. All right. I literally have like half of you want me to read this and explain it, and then the other half will be like, let's just make it magical. <laughs> well, whatever, if you want to know about it, great, and if you don't, uh, Larry's like, just get him down, you know, he doesn't be talking up there so long, uh, then you can consider and ask me questions or whatever else like that, because, you know, I'll respond, I'm great, I'm cool with that. Uh, yep, if the eyes can see, but nothing is keen, then the light inside is draw, so if the eyes can see, but nothing is seen, then the light inside is lost, but if all else fails, the light inside can be faked, for the light inside is in darkness cake. There is another way, of course, but much more difficult to hide. The light inside must be the light outside. The light comes directly from the source. The eyes must see what is there to see unless illusion is the game. Reality is indifferent to me. The beauty of light is seen the same." Sweet. That was easier than having to uh, explain it. All right, so now we take uh, communion and uh, I want to invite you to take communion like we take communion, which is a joyous fest of loudness and talking and celebrating what Jesus has done for us. Uh, you can take some bread, dip it into the juice, uh, and then uh, you can come back. Uh, certainly, you're welcome to sit and try to ponder some of this, although it's kind of difficult, I guess, because you can only see pieces of it. Um, and, uh, or you know, you can talk in, and uh, certainly get to know people if you want to get to know them. We'll come back uh, we'll have four other pieces to share with you today. Again, different people are going to read, sometimes their own, sometimes someone else's. I'm going to let them decide if they want to tell you uh, that they wrote it or not. And uh, and we'll uh, end off, okay? I'll say a prayer for us. Lord God, you are good. We praise you for uh, the character that you've shown us through Jesus. And as much as we have a tough time believing and uh, understanding it, we experience in you love that none of us could muster on our own. We ask that you would come among us and uh, make our church and our homes and our city uh, the way you want it to be through us. We pray that you uh, would bring uh, the kingdom reign that will one day be the only reign here on earth. As we interact with people and we love people and we do what's best for them and we look out and protect for them. Give us what we need each day a word, um, a person in our lives, something from you, a change, an understanding of who we really are, something to repent of. And forgive us, Lord, as you always do in your grace and mercy, as we continue to try and mess up, both willfully and accidentally. Help us to be people who see those things and are quick to recognize and deal with them in your power. And lead us away from the scheming that uh, Satan is constantly doing in our society and in individuals and help us to point that out as best as we can to people under his influence. We thank you so much for freeing us, Lord, and we take this communion and, and spend this time uh, celebrating who you are and what you've done in our, in our lives, both individually and collectively.
0: Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.